This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, uh, this is Lynn of Lynn and Jen, and let's talk about sex. And uh, we're on the unmasked component where we're focusing on COVID today. And uh, we have our four therapist group members here to discuss the uh, exciting topics of COVID. And today we have a special surprise for everyone because one of us, actually myself, uh, got COVID and has had it for about two weeks and the Omicron variant. And we're going to have a discussion about some of the psychological aspects of this. So let's forge ahead with this. And uh, how's everyone doing? Yeah. So I'm glad that we're all here together to talk about this. I'm really excited for today's conversation because just you talking about your own experience with COVID brought up a perspective that I hadn't even considered before. And so specifically, we'll be talking about kind of the psychological component of having COVID and the anxious sort of paranoid thoughts that are coming up around that. I also realized I didn't say my name yet. So in For those of you who aren't aware of who I am, I'm Jen, and I am the co-host of this podcast. And Valerie, you're also here, and Soy, you're also here today. So hopefully we can have a really animated discussion about this. Yeah, thank you for having having me back, Lynn and Jen. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to get into this topic. Well, maybe I can start with a little bit about what the COVID experience was like for me, and it's just different for everybody. I believe I got it from actually one of my assistants, and because we hang out in the same office room, and I probably was pretty exposed to, you know, she took a trip, was masked, we were masked, but I still got Omicron. And, um, it took a while before I knew I had the symptoms, but I had the sinus uh, and a lot of drainage and uh, had to even slow down the work quite a bit for 10 days, really. And um, so I was isolated from other people. Uh, my partner left. Uh, I was here uh, forging ahead, trying to get the food and manage my life and get better from COVID. Uh, for the period of time. But what was hard about it, I think for me, or what I became aware of, and I am a psychoanalyst, psychiatrist, were the psychological thoughts that really happened for me. And they intruded. um, You're alone a lot when you have COVID because you're isolating. And I became much more aware of anxieties and feeling more paranoid, scared of other people in some ways. All of that encourages you to isolate more, you know, so you're even more isolative than you might be because of the required mask. So it was the intrusive thoughts, especially when you're home alone at night, isolating. You can no longer fight these off. And a lot of my negative thoughts came back from me, fears about other people. I talk about a situation maybe a little later with my brother that happened, weird things 
happened and my perceptions of things were changed. And this is something I've seen with a lot of patients who've had the virus. So I'm curious about all of you and what you think about this. Yeah, I mean, so I was fascinated to hear this perspective because it's one I hadn't considered. And I was reflecting on so many of my clients have gotten COVID uh, Omicron and have I've noticed kind of an uptick in like the amount of anxious symptoms that they have demonstrated. And I hadn't connected that it could be related to Omicron at all. I mean, because a lot of them have these sort of like anxious profiles already, which is what we're working through, right? But just the timing of all of it and you sharing your experience got me thinking about this sort of random thing I read somewhere about one of the theories of like why humans get anxiety in response to changes in their body. And it was talking about how it's possible that, you know, in a way, anxiety, these thoughts keep us away from other people because we're worried about them harming us or us harming them. And so it's possible that, you know, as part of our body signaling that it's important for us to isolate in order to protect ourselves, but also protect other people. There's some kind of mind-body connection that goes on that kind of activates these anxious thoughts in order to keep you safe, but also to keep the people around you safe. I, I think it's a really good way to put it, Jen, because you do have the isolation makes you more anxious because you can't use other people to reassure yourself in the same way. Thinking about it, having my partner, Steve, there a lot of the time, just seeing him is so reassuring. Yeah. You know, even though I see him just like walking through the room or something, we're not talking. So just being alone is very difficult, especially at night when you're having trouble breathing or having sinus symptoms. You know, those are bad things. So that's part of it. But I I do see that there is an advantage to being alone. You know, the paranoid thoughts do keep you alone. I also see that you can't fight them off. You know, normally I have a built a system, you know, of mindfulness, all these other things that fights off negative thoughts. But with the virus and without the social support, you cannot fight off the negative thoughts. So it's much harder, I think, for all of our our clients who get these and, and get Omicron. And I also, coincidentally, I had five or six patients get Omicron. Also, they're isolated. And we're talking on our phone devices for sessions. And you could see it. They're having the same problems. Lynn, I wonder, do you think you would have had the same sort of negative perceptions if it was, say, just like the normal flu instead of uh, Omicron variant? I thought about that, Valerie. When I have a bad normal flu, I also have a little bit of it, but it was ramped up about 10 times, the paranoia and the fear. It could be connected to all the fears around people dying. People die from this if they're not vaccinated and boosted. So there is that. But I actually thought I wondered about the actual virus itself and the way it might interact with the brain. It's in the it's in the head. It's in the sinuses. It's upper respiratory. And I'm wondering about the impact of this really on the brain. You know, I was uh, thinking about this as we were talking and as someone who's naturally more introverted, I find it just kind of an interesting thing that like people isolate, like, you know, needing to isolate from 
like they need a quarantine when they've got COVID because they it's so you know easily contagious. Um, and how that's been really difficult for I think a lot of folks. But for myself, who you know I am used to being alone, I like that time alone. That's like my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it kind of comforting, and I like that more. And so I didn't seem to struggle as much, like what whether I'm sick or you know if just when shelter in place even started, I was like, yay. <laughs> more me time and I feel so normal Um, and I adjusted really I think really well but I know that wasn't everyone else's experience but in that way I also felt kind of strange like should I be thriving in this situation when everyone else is having such a hard time Uh, yeah it was a kind of unique experience I felt like for myself yeah I think you bring up such an important point with that which is something I noticed among my clients too because all of us were everybody was like in lockdown at the same time. And there was such a range of experiences. And I think the introverted, extroverted aspect of our personalities, like actually played a much larger role than maybe we're typically aware of, right? Like almost how extroverted our society is. Like I think on some level people knew because you're like having to go to business meetings, you're having to go here, you're having to go there, like all these different things. But I think what was interesting is when you're talking about feeling weird about like enjoying this time, right? I think there's a sense too of like, should I be enjoying this time because people are dying? Like this is a real serious thing. Like I'm not trying to dismiss like what is going on, right? And I'm also like really enjoying this pace of life. I know for a lot of my clients who are, you know, UCLA students and grad students right now, they're trying to figure out like, are we going back to campus? Are we still continuing to work from home? And it's been an interesting conversation to have because some people are really like, oh my God, I need people. Like I miss people. Like I want to meet people. And some people are like, yeah, you know, I like that aspect, but I really enjoyed being able to have my own pace of things. I really enjoyed being able to stay home more. And I think it's really important to open up this conversation and help people recognize like there are all these different responses based on what is supportive to us. And we live in a world that kind of treats this one way of being as like the default way you should be. What you're talking about, Jen, I actually thought about a lot when I had COVID. I'm a a pretty driven person who's very active. And in some ways, I'm I'm more interactive with people than you are. So, you know, I'm out there, I'm trying for my age. I'm really, and I like that. I like that position. But I was forced to be alone a lot with the COVID. And I had these weird, intrusive, negative thoughts. But I also realized that I've got to quiet down my lifestyle and really focus a bit more and really look at what's important to me. So it really, although I had a very difficult time I think with the thoughts, I've come through it thinking there's something to be said for not rushing around, for more me time, for more self-focus. It's important. This is something we miss in America when we're and in the Western world when we're rushing around so much, working so hard. It's not helpful. You know, Lynn, what you just said, I don't know why this is coming to me now, but it just kind of made me remember 
I don't know. I don't know if this has anything to do with maybe some of the psychology behind it, but I remember being bedridden for like two weeks once because I had some surgery done and this was years ago, but it wasn't my choice to be bedridden, obviously, because I had surgery and that was what was required for the recovery. And I remember feeling really dark and there were a lot of intrusive thoughts and it was not a good time. It does. It didn't help that they put me on pain medication and I'm super sensitive to medication. So that like totally warped me. But I remember it was very, very dark and I can't help but wonder, uh, you know, there were some other things going on in my life at the time too, but is it because there's a lack of choice in being isolated that plays a part into why we start to get these negative thoughts? Because as an introvert, I like to stay home. That's my choice. For surgery, that was not necessarily my choice. I like that. That's a good question. I'm someone who has depression, so I'm also very introverted too. But and I love my alone time. But when it's like through the lens of like having a depressive episode, it's not as fun. And sometimes I just have low energy and I don't have the energy to socialize. And it's kind of sad to like, against your will, feel like you have to sit out. And I feel like that does make you think about things like, okay, if I only have this much time or this much energy, what is super important to me? And I think having illness and getting, you know, darker, like, paranoid thoughts can have positive outcomes. It's just, we have to have more of like a conversation around, okay, now that there's all this like dark psychological stuff around COVID and people getting COVID, how do we navigate coming out of that into um, like a more, I don't know, positive or productive sort of light? Yeah. Like what can we learn from going through this difficult time? Right. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things that I, I'm taking out of and I'm still growing, I think, after going through it. And I see a lot of my patients, too, going through it. It does bring you more face to face with death if you get really sick with it. And so you do think about your own dying and you think about what you might want to accomplish if you had a very short period of life or, you know, what you need in the future and what you want to accomplish. And I think that focus is helpful. You know, for me, part of that is relaxing more and being more aware of things. Um, We also when I was suffering with the COVID, I also read all the obituaries, something I've never done. And uh, one of my old teachers died during this period, Tikta Khan, who's a Buddhist monk who I uh, had the good fortune to work with at Deer Park. And I think seeing him react to his death, he had planned ahead for it. And he left messages for the whole world about how we would all carry on his message and his life. And that's what he brought to his work, too. That was very helpful to me, reading about somebody who had thought about their death had a kind of planned message out there to give to others and had a very positive impact. But it made me think more about my own, what I leave from my grandchildren, my students, everybody, you know, and I want to leave something positive and and spend time thinking about that. (laughs) So that was a change. That's a positive change coming out of the COVID that you're talking about, Valerie. And I'm thinking a lot about those things. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons like confronting our mortality in a real way is so important because I remember reading this study a long time ago and it was done on like people who were dying and like, what are the, I think it was a nurse who wrote it. She was talking about like, what are the top five like regrets of people who are dying, right? And looking at 
how people live versus like what they think is important when they think about like, I'm starting to die. And so obviously a lot of our time and even the push with getting people back into schools is get about getting people back into work. And, you know, one of the things I remember reading at that time, I think I was either in late high school or early college. One of the things that stood out to me out of the five things was like, nobody looks back on their deathbed and goes, man, I really wish I had worked more, right? And, and yet that's how we live. So much of our lives are oriented around like, I need to work more to like get these things, to then be able to have friendships and go on vacation and like do all these things. And it's so backwards. And so I think, you know, as you said, it's one of the things that we can take out of this experience is really looking at like, okay, like if, if I truly were going to potentially die soon, like what would I change in my life and how do I start making some of those shifts towards values now? The truth is none of us know how long we're going to live. And so it's actually a good idea to start thinking about like, what are these values that I want to live into? And also you, Lynn, are talking about kind of legacy and how we touch people with the things we do. And I think, you know, we don't live as isolated people, even though, you know, we've been having to isolate in this way. And so I think thinking about the way what we do touches other people can be really inspiring too. What uh, Tikta Khan said, as you know, he wrote that would be read after his death, and and then the Dalai Lama talked about it, what he mm. had written, and um, I think that idea, you know, I while I was sick and had the dark thoughts, I was watching other people die of COVID and then say online, as we all know, that they wish they'd gotten all their shots. So there's a lot of people they put on the media who say that. And I thought about how sad for those people that, you know, they wanted their one man wanted his son to be taken care of. And he was had a five-year-old son and just really sad messages. Certainly, that's so important. But to have death come in that way to you and interrupt the whole process uh, and not have thought to get all of the protections, you know, just so painful, so hard for him. And it made me think more about what you're saying, Jen. How do we think about our death? You know, um, one of the great tenets of Buddhism is every day is a progression toward death. You know, and you think of you live your death, really. And also from my own Native American heritage, I, I kept thinking about there's a saying, it's a Sioux saying that today is a good day to die. And mm. it really is a, about every day is a good day to die. You know, so you have to live with that in mind. But I think in our world, we don't think about these things. So, mm. you know, these are some of the more positive thoughts that came after my paranoia for days and nights. I started to think, what can I take out of this time alone, you know, where I've had these thoughts and I've been forced to look at these things in a way. So it was my force looking at what you're able to do better than what I do is you, you're able to take that time alone. Yeah. I also want to make sure that we bring up related to all of this, something that you, Valerie, had brought up in our kind of pre-conversation to this around, you know, for early on related to whether people were vaccinated or not, who was getting it or not, this became this whole like political issue, right? And so I think there's a sense of great 
personal responsibility that has been placed on everybody in terms of like, are you doing what you can? Are you doing everything? And one of the things that came up that I noticed among my clients and that you brought up was, you know, what is the role of shame in all this and and how that's impacted? Is that something you feel comfortable sharing here? Um, I'll certainly say something about it. Valerie, what you said about the shame, when you get that Omicron, when you fall prey to it, even though you've had all the vaccinations, you do feel shame. You failed somehow, you know, and you try to figure out your route, you know, how you got it and you try to protect other people. So right away, you're focused on that. Hopefully not everybody is. Cause I know, I know when my work with the AIDS epidemic, that many people who got AIDS, several went out and inflicted on, on others because mm-hmm. they were angry. So there are people that react differently. But there is a prevalent feeling of shame and having let people down. That is one of the negative thoughts that slowly goes with all of this. You you have it for a while, but then you recognize, as they talked about on the news this morning, that 50% of our the United States will get Omicron in this time period. That's a lot of people. So that, that was comforting to me in that it countered those shame feelings you're talking about, Jennifer. But without a doubt, and I have less anger even toward all the people that didn't get the vaccination and are mm. part of the spreading process. So that's something else that came out of this. But I, I did want to say one other thing about the shame. I had my brother he sent a very negative video of little French Canadian children like he and I used to be in French. And these little kids were saying that uh, they were talking about how they had gotten the vaccine. And if somebody didn't have it, they would call the police and they would make sure everybody gets vaccinated. And imagine you're home sick with this COVID and a person close to you who doesn't believe in the vaccine sends you something like this, as if these poor children have been brainwashed. And so I could see right away, you know, uh, that my brother was acting in a negative way. I could see things more clearly, I think, you know, but I felt in some ways sorry for him that he doesn't see the importance of this vaccine. He's not home with COVID, struggling to breathe, and has somebody send him this. So really kind of interesting process around the unvaccinated and the vaccinated. I think maybe shame initially about joining that group, but at the same time, recognizing that those of us who've gotten vaccinated do care about others, want to protect others. I don't think anybody should have to suffer. Even I had a more limited version. I did not die from this, but nobody should have to go through this. That's my assessment of it. Yeah. I wonder too now, the thinking about the shame aspect, I wonder, like, I think of how I got sick a few months ago. And of course, it's scary at first, and it feels like the flu. And I'm like, oh, gosh, it's this COVID. And then I I test negative. And there's a sense of relief, because I know that I don't have COVID, which is like this big, scary thing. So it's interesting how there's like relief from having a different illness, even though it's very similar to COVID, but having it not be COVID and have like that title um, sort of diminishes the feelings of shame. A little bit. Yeah, that brings up a good point too about sort of how COVID has been framed and, and, you know, the Omicron and also the original COVID and how things are similar but different and this sense of, 
yeah, like you're to blame, like you did something wrong because you like caught this illness when, you know, even just the numbers clearly show like the contagiousness of it and it's different. And I think you bring up a great point where like, yeah, the symptoms are so similar, but having that title of like, this is the thing almost brings up that like you've failed socially versus, you know, if you catch a cold normally, people aren't like, what's wrong with you? Like you have failed society that you have the flu, right? Like that seems like a very strange conclusion to arrive at, but that's where people get at with COVID. I know we're kind of close to time here, but this also made me think about maybe some of the like internalized um, xenophobia that maybe some Asian folks might have because, you know, there was a lot of scrutiny against Asian people and we're the ones who I'm Asian um, and we're the ones who brought COVID over in the first place. And so I wonder how it is for for other Asian folks who maybe do get COVID and um, test positive and having to to share that with their their colleagues or friends or family. Yeah, this doesn't speak specifically to the Asian aspect. But now that you're bringing it up, I can think of like there were some of my clients who were talking about their frustrations with family members wanting to kind of hide that they had tested positive. And I think because of that shame factor, right? And so it's really interesting because obviously like part of doing your social responsibility is like sharing with the people that you've come into contact with. And one of the things that shame does though, is it makes people want to hide. And so kind of navigating between the like, I feel bad about this, I don't want to share, but also like, I care about people, I don't want to harm them. I think that's an important part that we haven't kind of addressed before. If what you're saying, Jen, I think it's what is so important to get past the shame, because you not only do you have to get past it, but you have to tell the people around you, anybody who's been exposed, yeah. what is going on. And I was surprised with, I did get some negative reactions and people shame me. So oh. I, it much, you know, like, what did you do wrong? Where'd you go? You know, you know, you must have done something. So you do get that. But at the same time, I saw people really be very empathetic and want to connect with me. And that was really wonderful. And when I saw that, you know, even all four of you or the three of you, I mean, just that we talk about this, that helps with the shame of getting it and makes it a more open process, really. So it is helpful to push past the shame, try to talk about it and recognize this isn't something that people willfully inflict on other people. Yeah. So I know you mentioned the time. So I, so I want to be cognizant of that. I want to thank you, Lynn, for sharing your experience and opening up this conversation and for all of us for participating and contributing these different perspectives. I'm hopeful that our listener will have a new perspective that hasn't been talked about as much, which is really kind of the psychological aspects of dealing with COVID. So not just the physical symptoms, but also how it's affecting the way you feel about yourself, how you feel about yourself in relation to other people. And hopefully in hearing these different perspectives, you don't feel so alone. I hope that's for everyone. Yeah.